Jonah chapter 4. Follow along with me as I read. Over the course of the next couple weeks, we'll uh, make our way through Jonah 4. And so I'm going to go ahead and just read the entire chapter. Kind of gives us, uh, finishes it out for us. Uh, So Jonah chapter 4, starting here in verse 1. Follow along with me. Uh, It says, "But But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is, what I, that is why I, what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And so now, Lord, just take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, and he made it grow. Made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, and he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry About the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not send it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. You can learn a lot about a person by how they observe, by by observing, by how they react to life situations. Let me say that again. You can learn a lot about a person by observing how they react to what comes their way. Uh, For example, when we're delayed by a slow driver in the passing lane, You can learn a lot about a person, can't you, by how they respond. Or maybe when your meal doesn't come out hot at that restaurant. You can learn a lot about a person by sitting across the table and seeing how they respond. A couple weeks ago, I had breakfast with Dave at a local establishment, and my sausage, and I, I, I... I don't get sausage all that often, and so when I do order sausage, I look forward to it. But that sausage was like jerky, and I am not one to complain. In fact, I can't think of the last time before this that I sent food back, and I hesitated. And I thought, but, but I wanted like juicy sausage, not jerky sausage. I hope Dave learned a bit about me, and that's the, of good things about me in that moment. We can learn a lot about a person on how they respond when other people uh, maybe say hurtful words to them. We can learn a lot about a 
young man or a young woman there in the basketball game, we can learn a lot about them when the referee misses an obvious foul, right? Of course, it's always obvious to us. An obvious foul that would have given your team a chance for a game-winning set of free throws. You can learn a lot about how they respond. You can learn continuing to hone in on you students. You can learn a lot about a young man or a young woman when their parent takes away their smartphone for a week or even an hour. (laughs) You can learn a lot about a person when the doctor's report gives a terminal diagnosis. You can learn a lot about a person when maybe a fellow family member achieves a goal that you could never quite reach. See, how we react in these and all of life's other situations, they expose the state of our heart, right? Our reactions have a way of putting our true inner self on public display. We tend to be able to manipulate and and design our actions, but it's those split-second reactions that truly reveal and have a way of exposing who we are behind the curtain. So as we rejoin our study here of the book of Jonah, now we are at the start of chapter 4, it's important for us to be reminded of the events of chapter 3 leading up to it. It's been a couple weeks, and so let me just rehearse this ever so briefly. We are reminded there at the beginning of chapter 3, Jonah finally traveled to Nineveh. He probably had a bit of a begrudging attitude. Maybe he even had a bit of a chip on his shoulder as he's trudging his way there those days traveling to Nineveh. He arrives to the city of Nineveh. He begins his prophetic preaching ministry by warning the residents. He's warning them of God's coming judgment. And you might recall, most likely you recall, how the Ninevites, they heard the message and they responded in repentance. They responded hoping, even the king himself, we read, even the king himself, he hoped that God would turn and relent from pouring out his judgment there on that wicked city. And what happened is a great revival swept across the entire city of Nineveh, right? The king even instructed that, that yes, let's include the animals, the livestock, right? The sheep and the cows, Put on them sackcloth. Let's, let's even include them in the fast. Let's all of us turn from our wicked ways. And then verse 10 of, of, of chapter 3, go ahead and look there again. It's a helpful segue as we jump into chapter 4. But verse 10 says this. It says, when God saw what they did, what the Ninevites did, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways... God relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened them. So as we move into chapter 4, if we had not just read chapter 4, and if you were coming into this blindly, if you're just reading this like you would any normal book, and you're the type of person who maybe didn't read the end of the story first, and you're just trudging along reading through this, if if you're reading this, your, your automatic thought is, this is a point of rejoicing. Right? This, this, this book should end on a high note filled with rejoicing and praise to God for his mercy and his compassion that is shown to the worst of sinners. Right? We certainly would assume that Jonah 
that, that Jonah might even lead a, a procession throughout the city streets, right? We, we think maybe Jonah would, would, would put together some sort of ticker tape parade and they would uh, maybe start some sort of chant that, that the Ninevites repented and God relented, right? And, and they're, they're marching through the streets and they're celebrating all of this. We would think that maybe they're singing psalms of adoration to the Lord for his steadfast love. News like this would certainly have traveled and spread like a viral tweet, like a text message that's filled with good news. We would think that Jonah himself maybe would have been overwhelmed with a humbleness, knowing that God had allowed him, the prophetic spokesman, that mouthpiece, to have played such a small part in this great revival. We would think that Jonah would have, been, have responded in humility to, to know that God used him and that through his ministry, God did something in the hearts of those people and their hearts melted. But turning to, to chapter 4, we learn a completely different response, don't we? Right? Chapter 4 Verse 1, it takes us in a completely different direction. Why, this is not a chapter that is outlying, uh, that's outlining a, a time of celebration. Instead, the picture, right? If, if we were to, to draw a picture of what chapter 4 is like, it's like this. Right? Hmm. Have you ever done that? Right? Some of you have, have you ever responded to God in that way with crossing your arms and just going like, hmm. We see right here out of the gate, we realize that Jonah's response goes against, against what we would expect to hear from a prophet. That his response is the opposite of what we would think a, a prophet would have. In fact, it's Jonah whose words here, right, that kind of give us this immediate understanding that Jonah is angry, okay? If, if believing that Jonah most likely wrote this book later in his life, just listen to the harshness, almost this abrupt turn, this whiplash of sorts where it says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. The author does not soften the harshness of Jonah's heart that is presented to us. Jonah's response, his reaction to the Ninevites' revival is anger. In fact, we might say that the prophet goes on a bit of a childish rant. He throws a fit. He exhibits what you might say is a child's temper tantrum. Now, I'm not saying that Arwen, by any means, was expressing a temper tantrum this morning, but earlier this morning, we know Arwen, right? The cute little gal of, from the, the pretties over there that, you know, Aiden was holding, Aiden, Aiden had some sort of like stick. Was that like a bubble maker, Aiden, or, or what was that that you were holding earlier? It was a bubble, what was that? A bubble maker of some sort? Yeah, he was holding it. He was holding it and Arwen wanted it. And Arwen was clearly angry and upset that Aiden would not give her what her little heart desired. 
Boy, that's what's going on here. And isn't that how we often respond to the Lord? As mentioned earlier, you can learn a lot about a person by watching their reaction to the circumstances of life. Our reactions reveal the true state of our hearts. How we react is a gauge. You might say it's a thermometer of our hearts. See, anger reveals what or who we're trusting in. Anger pulls back the curtains of what is truly going on deep down inside of us. Anger has a way of exposing our true self. And I I specifically this morning am using the word expose because when you consider the word expose, you typically think of a situation where something that is hidden now all of a sudden comes into view. Right? We watch the news expose, don't we? Or we hear of the Ponzi scheme fraud that has what? That has been exposed. In these and other situations, something that was once hidden is now abruptly put on display. And that's what anger does. So this morning, the big idea is this. I don't know, maybe you struggle with anger. I know at times I do. And so if so, uh, this sermon is for you. Here's the big idea for us this morning. It's this, is that my anger exposes my need for God's mercy. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And that's where we're going to land the plane at the end of the sermon, is we are indeed going to be looking to Jesus. And this morning, we're going to be dealing with, we're going to be learning from Jonah's anger that is put on display. I believe that Jonah recorded these events of his life uh, to serve as teachable moments for you and for me. Because I think all of us, in various ways, we've seen ourselves here in the book of Jonah. That's the beauty of God's word, isn't it? It acts as a mirror to us, that we look at God's word and we see who, who we truly are. And so this morning, I hope that we can learn to to receive God's mercy in those moments of anger. And so the first point this morning, there's three points again this morning. Uh, We're going to learn about Jonah's anger and how how Jonah's anger exposes his struggle with God's sovereignty, how Jonah's anger then exposes his hatred for the Ninevite people, and we'll also then finally see how Jonah's anger exposes his own pride. So let's look at this first point, how Jonah's anger exposed his struggle with God's sovereignty. So we look again there at verse 1. It says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Right? If the conclusion of this historical narrative had been left up to Jonah in these moments with his heart of anger, right? If the conclusion of this historical narrative had been left up to Jonah, the city of Nineveh would cease to have existed. <laughs> God's judgment, right? Jonah's desire was that God would judge and and pour out his wrath on these people. If Jonah was writing the script, that's what would have happened. But God had other plans. And through God's sovereign authority, God moved in the hearts of the people. And he brought them to repentance. He, He pulled back his hand of judgment from them for a time. And because God did not act as Jonah had hoped, because Jonah didn't get his way, Jonah responded with an intense 
anger. Now, it's our natural inclination to view our lives through the lens of our selfish heart, isn't it? Right? We, we like to place expectations on God that are governed by what we want. Have you ever told God uh, what you think should happen? Right? Maybe a show of hands. Have you ever done that? Right? That's what we naturally do. We, we expect God to bend his will to our will. And when God doesn't bend his will to our will, when he doesn't oblige, we react in anger. And we forget that the hand of God cannot be tamed by our expectations. And so this is what Jonah is displaying here. His anger exposes his distrust of God's sovereignty. Have you ever struggled to trust God's plan for your life. Right? Because if you were to rewind your life 20, 30, 40 years, for some of us sitting here, this isn't necessarily the script that we had in mind, is it? And, And when the script doesn't play out, like we had hoped, sometimes we grow angry. On Friday morning, I was able to spend the morning sitting with the Bean family, John and Yana Bean. Uh, Yana was having a a procedure this morning. That's why John and Yana aren't here. She's home recovering from the surgery, and I'm sure John is wearing his Dallas Cowboys uniform right now, watching online. Hey, John and Yana. But this past Friday morning, I spent... I spent time sitting with their family while Yana was back in, in surgery, and I was there with, with John and um, with Annie, Yana's sister, and Keith, her brother, and her niece, Michelle. And we were enjoying our time there, but uh, for a few moments uh, while the conversation was, uh, while I wasn't engaging conversation with them, I took some time just to look around the, the waiting room. And the thought occurred to me, I watched there in the waiting room um, as a family quick, quickly jumped to their feet when their last name was called and instructed to come to the desk, right? There was a family that was nervously waiting to hear the news of the surgery. Uh, I observed a married couple who was sitting close to each other, and the wife was clearly showing signs of hair loss as a result of her chemotherapy treatments. Not far, a couple seats down, I overheard a daughter reminding her elderly father yet again uh, why they were there at the hospital and the, detail, and the details of the procedure that his wife was having done behind the closed doors of the operating room. And she was telling him yet again as if he had forgotten since the last time she shared those details with him. And sitting there, the, th- the thought that occurred to me is, as I'm watching the people who are scattered around the room, I... I was, reminded, I was reminded of the fact that life tends to take us in a direction that maybe we hadn't always hoped for or planned. That these people probably didn't think that on uh, October 14th, 2022, we're going to be sitting in a waiting room. I think all of us at some point in time find ourselves battling against, uh, battling anger 
because we're upset at God. We're upset at his plan. And I wonder, have you ever wanted to even shake your fist at God and question his sovereign will? As a church, and we did it just this morning as a church, we regularly recite the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, we proclaim with our lips, we tell God, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. But when God's will conflicts with my will, well, sometimes it's hard to hold back the frustration, isn't it? And it's in those times when we are tempted to respond in anger toward God and his plans that we have to return in our hearts to what we know to be true. We, we see here, it says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Whose lens of history is Jonah viewing the, the, the revival through? His lens of history. Down in our basement, we have a table that, is, that piled on this table is a 2,000-piece puzzle. 2,000 pieces is a big puzzle, Right? We got it with hopes that we would be able to conquer this puzzle by the 1st of November. I don't know if we've even got a handful of pieces together. How are we doing on that, Thatcher? Pretty lousy, right? Because, but but we, tend, we tend to view life just based on that single puzzle piece, don't we? And when that puzzle piece doesn't match up with what we think our life should look like, we get upset, whereas God understands history through the lens of the beauty of the puzzle that's put together. There's a few truths that I go back to because there are times when I'm tempted to question, when I'm tempted and even grow angry at God, when his plans don't submit to my plans. These three truths, uh, again, I've mentioned this book to you before, Trusting God, uh, when Life Hurts or something like that. Jerry Bridges wrote this book. It's, it's been a helpful book to me. But Jerry Bridges tells us that three truths, that, that when God's plan doesn't seem to match our plan, there's three truths that we should remind ourselves of. And it's the truth that God is all loving, that God loves you, and that God loves me. Last week at the camp out, Pastor Will did such a wonderful job reminding us that God loves us even more than we love our own selves. So we should remind, I have to remind myself that even in, when I'm in the midst of this situation and when I'm in the midst of this mess, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. He does. And the second truth that Bridges reminds us of is to remind ourselves that God is all-knowing. That God does know what the end of the puzzle is going to look like. And he's crafting that beautiful puzzle. Even now, he's weaving our circumstances into his plan. And he knows that. And as well, he knows what you're experiencing. That in Jesus Christ, he's been there. And then the third truth that Bridges says we should remind ourselves, as, ourselves of is that God is all wise. That God is all wise. That his wisdom is being applied. That he's, that he's not guessing. He's not orchestrating this world with a multiple choice plan. He's, he's got it in mind. 
He knows what he's doing. And it's that, it's that fact that God is all loving, he is all knowing, and he is all wise that I have to remind my heart of, and I hope you too remind your hearts of, when you struggle to trust God's sovereign plan. And that those truths can help pull you back from the temptation of growing angry toward him. You see, when we are constantly at odds with God's plan, we miss out on the blessings that are right there before us. Right? When we're constantly at odds with God's plan, when, when we fail to trust him, when we fail to believe that he's all-loving, all-knowing, and all-wise, when we fail to believe that and, and our posture toward him is just this constant crossing of the arms in this old man, hmm, when that's our posture, we miss out on the blessings that are there even in that moment. I mean, think about, think about the time of celebration that Jonah completely missed out on. Think about the opportunities for for continued ministry that he could have stepped into with the people of Nineveh where he could have continued to, to share with them the truths of this God of Abraham. But because of his anger, his back was turned to all of those opportunities. It's apparently possible to be present to witness the blessing of God And yet at the same time, to want to be elsewhere, or for Jonah, he just wanted to be nowhere at that time. So the next one, then what else do we learn from Jonah's anger? Well, we learn that Jonah's anger exposed his hatred for the people of Nineveh. Yeah, so exposed, it's a bit of a harsh word, and now I've got this word hatred. It's a harsh word too, it's a strong word. We learn of, of how Jonah's anger, it exposed his hatred for, the, for, for those people. All right, again, if we were doing a straight reading through the book of Jonah, up to this point, we wouldn't know exactly why Jonah ran from, from God. Up until chapter 4, we're not given any insight on why did Jonah even run from God in the first place. Well, Jonah now shows his cards. He bears his heart at this point because here in in chapter 4, the motive for Jonah's flight is now provided for us. In verse 2, Jonah prays. (laughs) Jonah prays an angry prayer to God. Did you see that, right? Jonah's angry, and what does he do? He goes to the Lord. Now, let me just say, right, Jonah, right, the first time in chapter 1 when he was angry at God, what did he do? He ran from the Lord. So at least now we see some progress here in Jonah's heart. That now Jonah, in his anger, he goes to the Lord. And he prayed to the Lord. Look there in verse 2. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah is attempting, in verse 2, he's attempting to defend his previous actions. (laughs) This is what he's doing. He's digging in his heels against God. Jonah even admits, he said, I tried to change your plan. I tried to to thwart God, your mercy. And the way in which God, listen listen to how smart I am, Lord. The way in which I tried to change your plan was by disobeying you, right? That will really get God's attention. Jonah's frustration, though, he airs it out to God. 
Jonah's frustration is that God is consistent in his character. Jonah is frustrated that God's consistency in his character will then be applied to the people of Nineveh. We get this sense that Jonah is completely exasperated. He's tossing his hands in the air, and it's almost like he's saying, look at what you've done, God. <laughs> right? You sent me, and look at this. The people actually repented. God, this is your fault because you're consistent in your character. Lord, if only you had just let me alone on that ship to Tarshish, this revival would have never happened. And in his anger, Jonah is blaming God for being consistent. Now, it's important to note Jonah's description of God where he says there in verse 2, he says that he's gracious and compassionate, that God is slow to anger and abounding in love, He describes God as being a God who relents from sending calamity. This, what he is saying here, is an echo of a promise that God made to Israel. It's a promise that God makes to Israel all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Nine or ten times we see this promise rehearsed. And it was a promise that God had given to the the Israelites, to the nation while they were steeped in idolatry and sin. And these promises that Jonah here again rehearses, these promises served as reminders of God's character. It was almost as if it was a creed that was rehearsed to provide the Israelites comfort, the comfort of God's unrelenting love. Children, when you sin against your parents and you disobey them, aren't you thankful to hear them say, but I still love you? This verse is Jonah. that, That creed, those verses are like the people reminding themselves, but God still loves me. And this, these verses, though, because in Jonah's mind, this knowledge of God was exclusive property of Israel, right? This, Jonah has this in mind. He thinks that this promise that God made to the Israelites, no one else should get in on the deal, right? Why should the Ninevites get to enjoy this covenant, these blessings that, that belong to us alone? Doesn't God know how evil the Assyrians are? Right? Why should they get in on God's mercy? Another of Jesus' parable might come to mind at this point. We might think of the parable of the vineyard workers. Right? We've, we've talked about the parable of the lost son some throughout this, but I think at this point in time, we might even think of the parable of the vineyard workers. There in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells us a parable of men who'd been working in a vineyard all day long, and they, as they started their job, they agreed on the compensation Right? For one day's labor, they would get a denarius. Well, later in the day, however, a group of workers show up. They pick grapes for only an hour, and they get paid the same amount. Now, come on, y'all. Have you ever been, had similar feelings? What? Wait, how much did you get paid? Right? I mean, that's why, that's why as a staff, we just don't share our salaries with each other. Right? Dan would be like, Bame, how much are you getting paid? We're, we're what? But this, what, what happens is, is they show up and they get paid the same amount of money as the person who got paid 
to work all day long. And the people are upset. They go to the master, they complain. And so the master replied, he said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? The parable reminds us that God's mercy belongs to him. And that God will show mercy to those whom he chooses to show mercy. And Jonah's anger is in the fact that he doesn't like the Ninevites. And yet God has chosen to show mercy to them. Church, I wonder, are there people whom you would struggle with to see come to know the Lord? Now, I understand in this setting, we're all going to say, no, not a chance. But maybe in real life, life outside these doors, we might say that this person has hurt me in such a way that it would be hard for me to have to stand beside them in heaven. Is there an a hint or an odor of anger in your heart toward God if he extended his generous grace to someone who's hurt or betrayed you? Are there even people that deep inside your heart you've thought, Lord, they deserve to just go to hell? I even think this week, as I've watched the headlines of the Parkland shooter's trial and his sentencing, right? What is your response? Now, again, I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting that we remove consequences from actions or that we deny justice. Indeed, there are and there should be consequences to crime and our sins against others. However, the application at hand is whether or not we have concern for that young man's soul. And we pray for him. Or have we given our own hearts over to hatred toward him because of his actions? Have you allowed your heart to become hardened in such a way that you begrudge God's mercy and his grace being extended and received to those who have hurt you? Have we convinced ourselves that God's grace is only available to me because really, I'm not that bad? See, sometimes our anger exposes our distaste, our dislike, might I even say our hatred that we have toward other people. And so then next, the third point is that Jonah, then uh, his anger exposes his pride. Think Third, third, we see here um, in verse 3, here's, look, notice Jonah's response. What does he tell God? Right? First, he, he blames God. He says, God, it's your fault because you're consistent in your character. character. 
And now his, his pride is exposed because in verse 3, here's, in Jonah's mind, this is his only, this is the only place that he needs to go. It says, now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah is telling God, right? Jonah's telling God, he's saying, if I can't have my way, then just take my life from me right now. I'd rather die than live knowing that you extended mercy to the Ninevites. Boy, that would be the most miserable experience. Like Jonah, we too fail to acknowledge the sin of our hearts. It's our pride that tends to point the finger at everyone else and their sin. It's our pride that darkens the mirror and does not allow us to see the reflection of our own sin. You see, here's the catch that many of us get hung up on in a situation like that, right? This is somewhat, I think this is the speed bump for us with God's mercy. It's this. It's that if God shows compassion to such wicked people like the Ninevites, if God is willing to show compassion to them, then what does that mean for us? Then we should also be merciful in our actions toward them. Again, I'm not saying that consequences shouldn't be served. I'm not saying that. But in our hearts and in our interactions, in our conversations with them, in our thoughts about them, in our prayers for them, if God has mercy on them, then that means we too should have mercy. That we should ask the Lord to help us to be compassionate to them. To pray for them, their salvation. You see, now Jonah is forced to accept the Ninevites. Right? This is his struggle. Right? If, if they receive God's mercy, and if, and if, it, if it indeed was, uh, if, if their belief indeed was a, a belief of, of salvation, right? If, if that indeed is, is the type of mercy that's shown to them here, then that means that Jonah has to accept the Ninevites as adopted children of Father Abraham that he would be forced to acknowledge them as participants under God's blessing. See, Jonah believed that it would just be easier rather than acknowledge his own sin and his own hatred toward those people. Jonah just determined it would be easier for him to just die. (laughs) Jonah convinced himself That if he can't control God's plan by running in disobedience, then his only option then, Jonah says he'd prefer, Lord, just take me. And so if I may, just ask a couple, continue to ask a couple heart-probing questions. How do you feel about God's mercy being shown to those who have wronged you? Do I struggle with the idea of God extending his grace to even the most wicked of sinners? Do I rejoice? Do I rejoice in every display of God's God's divine favor and His mercy when when those who maybe have hurt us, when they do come to know the Lord, do I rejoice in that? Do I celebrate that? Or do I respond? Or, or deep inside my heart, is there a little bit of, oh, do we even in our hearts, maybe just a bit, cross our arms in disgust toward God? 
Right? Jonah is helping us to see that we should rejoice in God's divine mercy for them to, be, be, because we need to remember the depth of God's mercy in our own lives. And then this morning's text, it concludes with an incredible display of God's merciful patience with Jonah. Right? Because the very mercy which God poured out on the Ninevites... The very mercy that God pours out on the Ninevites now washes over Jonah yet another time. It almost is as if there's a bit of an irony here in this final chapter. Because the same mercy that served as the antidote to the Ninevites' destruction is now served to Jonah by God through a question. It's almost as if God is saying, Jonah... Here, take a spoonful or two of mercy for yourself, Jonah. See, God would have had every right to allow Jonah to get exactly what Jonah's selfish heart wanted, right? Jonah just said, God, take my life, and God could have said, okay, (laughs) I will. That's what you want, that's what I'll give you, but God doesn't give him that. God could have answered his request with a death sentence right there. But that isn't how God responded. Instead, God asked Jonah a very simple question. Is it right for you to be angry? See, Jonah is now caught between the vice of his own self-will on the one hand and the strong hand of God on the other. The more Jonah pushed against God, the more God is pressing in. See, God had no intention of giving up on Jonah. In church, neither does God have any intention of giving up on you. If we learn anything from today's sermon, is that God is never the problem, but always the solution. We learn that God's mercy and grace should always be our most primary boast and brag. That we should delight in his mercy, that we should always celebrate his mercy, whether that mercy is extended to us or whether that mercy is extended to those whom we just can't stand. And it's when we begin to doubt God's mercy that we should again turn our attention to the cross. You see, Jesus shows us exactly what it looks like to not be like Jonah, right? Again, I I told you, I said, we're going to land this plane on the cross, right? Because our anger exposes our need for God's mercy. And where is God's mercy on its greatest display? There on the cross. Because on one hand, you have Jonah who questions God's sovereignty, And on the other hand, you have Jesus who perfectly obeyed his Father's will. You have Jonah who hated his enemies. You have Jesus who died on the cross for his enemies. And you have Jonah whose heart was filled with pride. And you have Jesus who humbled himself to the point of dying. 
Church, if you're ever angry at God, if you're ever angry toward others, if you're ever angry that life just doesn't seem to be going your way, look to the cross and hear this question. Is it right for you to be angry?